0: Nine million people live in mixed status families in the United States. We're gonna introduce you to three. The Gonzaleses. Abigail is undocumented.
1: I feel like
2: I don't belong anywhere.
0: Miriam has DACA, which is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals.
2: Okay, so are you gonna take it away? Are you gonna like leave it? Like, what are you gonna do?
0: And Jose Ventura is a US citizen.
3: There's so much pressure on me.
0: They're all siblings. They all live under the same roof. And one of them is suing the government to stay. You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Jean Demby.
4: And I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. I met Abigail Gonzalez while I was doing some reporting in Boyle Heights, which is a majority Mexican neighborhood here in Los Angeles. She's an undocumented dreamer. So she was brought to the U.S. as a baby, but she doesn't have DACA or any other type of legal documentation. And there's a lot of uncertainty in her household right now.
0: I guess that's a bit of an understatement. So right now, there are an estimated 3.6 million Dreamers in the United States. Of that 3.6 million, about 2 million of those are eligible for DACA, but only around 800,000 of them have it. For how long, that's still kind of up in the air because legal battles are playing out in the courts. Both Democrats and Republicans say they want to fix this predicament, but they just can't agree on how to do it. Which means a lot of young people's futures are still in limbo. People like Abigail Gonzalez who Shireen is about to introduce us to.
4: Abigail is an 18-year-old high school senior. She's class president, a softball star, in every AP class except Spanish because of a scheduling mishap that she's still mad about. And she was planning an East Coast trip to visit colleges when we first met. So Abigail was about to travel cross-country without any U.S. documentation. And people in her life said, don't do it. What if you're stopped? It was definitely something I thought about, but Abigail, she wasn't worried at all. It was her second time flying domestically, and nothing happened the first time.
1: So we just boarded the plane. I came in with my Mexican passport, and um, they really just checked to make sure that my name is the same as on the ticket.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, from the flight deck, your captain speaking. Uh, welcome on board, American flight.
4: Okay. I had Abigail keep track of her trip in an audio diary for me. I said, just talk into your phone whenever you have a sec, and as you heard, there are parts that just end abruptly. But this next mashup is a pretty good representation of what she said.
1: Um the campus tour was really good. Um UPenn is beautiful. I don't I don't know um, it reminded how me how I really feel about Columbia. I feel I don't know if I would really be happy there. You know, um, Princeton's the quote unquote dream school. When I was on that campus, just looking around, I was like, this is the school
4: and this, this is what I want. Um, to me, Abigail sounds her, so. like a typical high-achieving senior, weighing the pros and cons of one fancy university over another. She's way more concerned with being rejected from Princeton, her dream school, than being an undocumented dreamer. I asked her about that and she told me it's because the idea of being deported still feels really foreign to her. Me and my sisters are actually talking about it, how
1: we don't have a plan if we're deported. We've been in this country long, like so long that we feel like nothing's gonna happen to us because like it's just it hasn't happened before.
4: Abigail has two older sisters. Dali is 21, goes to UC Santa Cruz and has DACA. And Miriam, her oldest sister, is 24 and also has DACA. Abigail calls Miriam. My biggest inspiration. And she remembers, she's the only one who remembers Mexico. And Miriam calls her youngest sister Abigail. My little prodigy, but she's done everything on her own. Miriam says she was six years old and Abigail was six months old when their mom brought them from Mexico to Los Angeles to reunite with their dad.
2: I remember we took a plane from Guadalajara to Tijuana, and then we took a bus from TJ to downtown L.A. It's funny because I think my mom had also mentioned Disneyland, like, oh, yeah, because he lives in L.A., we're going to go to Disneyland. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. We didn't end up going to Disneyland until like two years later. So it was always like, oh, you promised Disneyland to me and now we're here. I'm eight years old and I still haven't been to Disneyland.
4: Miriam says as a little kid, she never gave much thought to how that one trip totally changed her life. She adapted fast. The oldest of four, she was the first to learn English and quickly became the family interpreter. And she went through a bunch of other firsts that helped pave the way for her younger sisters, like being the first to know their legal status. She was in seventh grade, and there was a flyer at school, and she can't remember exactly what it was for. Some sort of after-school job thing. To participate, you needed a social security number.
2: And I went home that, that day, and I told my mom, like, Hey mom, can I have my social security number? And then she was like, uh, you don't have one? And then I
4: was like, well, let's go get one. Her mom told her why it didn't work that way, because she was undocumented.
2: She just said, don't tell anybody. And I do remember that. She didn't,
4: until high school. Miriam was number one in her class and determined to go to college. So she shared her secret with a high school guidance counselor who told her about an undocumented student group at UCLA. Miriam realized not only could she go to college, she could have a support network. She applied to UCLA and got in. But the family couldn't afford it on the money her dad made. He cuts meat at a factory and supports their mom, all four kids, grandma, and great-grandpa. And Miriam couldn't work legally or apply for financial aid. Her plan? Live at home and get scholarships. But after her second quarter...
2: Um, (laughs) I didn't get one of the scholarships that I was depending on, so I had to take time off from school, so...
4: Yeah. While Miriam was trying to figure out what to do, something big happened. Effective immediately, the
0: Department of Homeland Security is taking steps to lift the shadow of deportation from
2: these young people.
4: President Obama announced DACA. It was June 15, 2012. Miriam was with a bunch of her undocumented friends from UCLA who were graduating later that day. You made me get emotional. <laughs>
2: yeah so it came like at a perfect time where you know they're getting ready to graduate and now they have um,
4: the opportunity to to work and so did she she got DACA Graduated from UCLA, and she's getting her master's while teaching middle school full time. With her teaching salary, Miriam helps out her family a lot. She sends money to her middle sister, Dahlia, so she can live on campus at UC Santa Cruz, and she helped her youngest sister, Abigail, with her college application fees and took her on that all expenses paid East Coast college tour. But remember, Abigail doesn't have DACA. So even if she got into all those expensive schools they visited, she'd need scholarships to make it work. And there's nothing really protecting her from deportation. Abigail says she doesn't resent her sisters because they have DACA and she doesn't. I do
1: resent the fact that like, just the feelings that my status has had on me and just like the impact that it has had on me emotionally. I feel like I don't belong anywhere. I feel like if I'm I I don't feel a part of Mexico because I've never lived there. I don't remember my relatives. I don't remember life in the ranch. I don't remember anything. In America, I've had to to assimilate. I mean, I don't speak Spanish fluently, like perfect Spanish, because all my years I've tried to perfect my English. And so I've had to let go certain things from my own culture just to assimilate into a country that, you know, where people don't, respect me because of just legal documentation.
4: At this point, you're probably wondering why Abigail doesn't have DACA. Well, she wasn't 15 when it was announced and you had to be at least 15 to apply. And when she turned 15, she was in high school and didn't think she needed a job until she graduated. She mostly thought of DACA as something that let you work. Deportation has never really been top of mind for the Gonzalez sisters until recently. Also, it's not cheap. It costs nearly 500 bucks to apply and you have to pay that again to renew it in 2 years. Once Abigail finally decided it was time, Miriam talked to a lawyer who said, "Hold off. Don't give the government all of Abigail's information until the Trump administration decides what to do with DACA."
1: Like I definitely regret it not applying early as soon as I turned 15 and then like it was already too late once we waited out.
4: I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. On Tuesday, September 5th of last year, Attorney General Jeff Sessions made the official announcement, and Miriam got ready for a fight. She's a plaintiff in a case suing the Trump administration for ending DACA, Department of Homeland Security v. Regents of the University of California. A district judge ruled in that case that the federal government has to keep taking DACA renewals but doesn't have to accept new applications. The federal government appealed that decision directly to the Supreme Court, skipping the lower courts altogether. The Supreme Court just rejected that request. So back to the circuit court it goes. It's a short-term win for DACA recipients like Miriam and her sister, Dahlia, but one that won't help her youngest sister, Abigail, a dreamer without DACA. Miriam really wishes she could go back and change that.
2: Like, I know that we don't don't talk about it because, you know, our family doesn't really talk about things, but, like, does she blame me? I wouldn't blame her for, like, blaming me since, you know, we kind of, like, didn't do it when we had the opportunity to do so. You know? So what do you hope happens? Let's just hope that Congress <laughs> acts.
0: After the break, we'll meet Abigail and Miriam's little brother. He's 17.
3: Um, I have more opportunities than my sister, so now that I have more opportunities, I should take advantage and I should stop being lazy and just focus on what I got to do.
4: Jose Ventura Gonzalez shares his thoughts on what it's like being the only citizen in the family.
0: Stay with us. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter can help. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash switch. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
4: I'm Ophira Eisenberg. Join me on NPR's Ask Me Another as we challenge contestants and celebrities to nerdy word games, music parodies, and ponderful trivia. Find us every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Jean. Shereen.
0: Code Switch. Okay, so now we're going to meet Miriam and Abigail's only brother.
3: So my name is Jose Ventura Gonzalez. Um, I am 17 years old and I am in the 11th grade.
4: Jose Ventura. All one word, 11 letters. That's a very long name. Mm-hmm. Are you named after anyone?
3: Um, I'm named after my dad and my, um, my, one of my dad's steels who took care of my dad and his family when my grandpa passed away when my dad was six years old.
4: Jose is his dad's name. Ventura, his great uncle's. So it's not just a long name. It's a heavy one. It carries a lot of family weight. Jose Ventura told me his grandfather was murdered in a fight over a piece of land back in Mexico. Great-uncle Ventura took care of Jose Ventura's dad until he died. That's when Jose Ventura's dad stopped going to school and started working to support his younger siblings. He never went to high school. Jose Ventura's three older sisters rocked high school. Miriam and Abigail told me they didn't have a choice. Their dad and mom sacrificed everything to bring them to the U.S. so they'd have more opportunities. And they were undocumented. Abigail told me they always had to be on top of their game. So, how would you describe yourself?
3: That's tough. Um, myself, I really don't push myself to have good grades. Like my overall GPA isn't that really isn't that good. Um, I messed up freshman year and sophomore year, but then junior year I stepped up.
4: Okay. So, how would you describe yourself besides your grades? Let's take that off the table.
3: Besides my grades, I describe myself as. Really annoying to my sisters. I like to bug them. Athletic, I love to play sports. That's pretty much it. Lazy, actually.
2: Oh, my little pain. He's so
4: annoying. (laughs) But I mean, I'm his sister, so I guess I get to say that. Oldest sister Miriam thinks Jose Ventura's description is pretty on point. He always says that he's like the dumb one in our family, and I'm just like, you're not dumb, you're just lazy. And Abigail goes one step further and says why it's so important for their youngest brother to get it together. He's the only citizen in the family, and when he turns 21, he can help his parents get their green cards. That is, if they meet all the criteria, and he can prove to U.S. citizenship and immigration services that he makes enough money to support them both. Here's Abigail.
1: We need him to to work, to go to college, because those factors will be able to help my parents get their papers. So... And I don't know exactly how he feels, and I don't know if he knows that we put a lot of pressure on him, but I'm pretty sure he does because we always tell him, like, you need to do good in school, you need to do good in school. So He knows. I asked him.
3: There's so much pressure on me, so I feel like all the eyes are on me and the family. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just waiting for you to get turned 21 so you can have papers. But now that we have Trump, I feel like it's going to be hard to be able to fix them.
4: President Trump is pushing to reform family sponsorship. He wants to restrict it to spouses and minor children only. He says it's a non-negotiable if a deal is going to get done that helps the dreamers. Jose Ventura told me his family doesn't talk that much about all this uncertainty or about what the president might do.
3: We don't really talk about Trump in in our house. Everyone in my family is on it. They're still doing what they have to do. You know, life continues. They still wake up, do what they got to do, come back home, eat, sleep, do the same thing over and over again.
4: A few minutes after we finished the interview, Jose Ventura actually ended up coming back into the room where I was packing up my recording equipment, and he told me he wanted to share something really important with me, something he forgot to say that actually was about President Trump's administration and his oldest sister. Okay. All right. What What are you missing?
3: So what I feel like I missed was the part about Miriam when she first told me about suing, um, suing the government. And now that her name is out there, you know, people know who she is. I asked her, I was like, aren't you afraid of getting caught? The fact that she just looked at me in the eyes and she told me I'm not afraid. Like, and, if, and, and she was like, if I do get caught then I go back to Mexico, then I'll find something I have to do over there. If one of us go, then all of us will go. I don't like the idea of families being separated. That's not fair for anyone, and I wouldn't want that to happen to anyone. So if my sister gets deported or my parents get deported, I'll go with them.
4: I interviewed Jose Ventura, Abigail, and Miriam separately and on different days. And one thing they all told me was that they don't talk much about their family's predicament. They said things to me they've never shared with each other. Miriam's never asked Abigail if she blames her for not doing more to get her DACA. Abigail's never asked Jose Ventura if he resents being the only one with U.S. citizenship. Maybe it's too overwhelming. Or maybe they want their identity to be more... Then documented, undocumented, and citizen.
0: All right, y'all, that's our show. Please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Codeswitch. We want to hear from you as always. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. That's how folks find the show.
4: Leah Donella and Sammy Yenigan produced this episode with help from our intern, Kumari Devarajan. It was edited by Sammy Yenigan. We had original music by Ramtin Arab And special thanks to the after-school program, College Track, for helping me organize interviews with Abigail and Jose Ventura. Tina Kim, Jennifer Estrada feller I couldn't have done it without you, so thank you so much. And thanks to Professor Hiroshi Motomura for helping me understand the issues and for taking time out of your sabbatical to do it.
0: A shout-out to the rest of the Coastwish fam. Steve Drummond, Walter Ray Watson, Karen and Grigsby-Bates, Adrian Florido, Maria Paz Gutierrez, and Kat Chow. I'm Gene Demby.
4: And I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji vizio, peace.
0: Thank you for listening to Code cool Twitch. Since I have you here real quick, I want to ask you a favor. Could you please help us out by telling us what you like and how we could do better at Code Switch by completing a short, anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. It's only going to take you a couple minutes, and you'll do all of us at Code Switch a huge favor by filling it out. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. Thank you. Appreciate you.